Ladies and gentlemen, he's the samurai of student ministry, the networking ninja, a Jedi master of church budgets, the beast from the southeast, the next-gen nerd himself, CJ! What's up, my nerds? You're listening to the Next Gen Nerd Podcast. Today's interview is with my brother Rocky, who just read the first Helldivers book, and I wanted to talk about it with him. Helldivers is a post-apocalyptic novel written by Nicholas Sansbury Smith and was released in 2017. The most recent entry in the series, Helldivers X, or Helldivers 10, was just released a couple weeks ago, and I have thoroughly enjoyed the first chapter, and I'm looking forward to listening to more of it in the coming days. If you like the content, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and if you could leave five stars in a review, that would be excellent. If you head over to nextgennerd.com, you can also share any episode from there to your social media. Keep listening after the interview for a quick devotional looking at one of the issues in Helldivers and what we can learn from it. But first, let's get nerdy. Well, nerds, like I mentioned, I am here with my brother-in-law, Rocky, and we're going to be talking about uh, Helldivers. It's a whole book series where we talk about the first book. He just finished it uh, and said he had some thoughts. I thought, perfect. Let's talk about this on the podcast. Rocky, it's good to see you, man. How are you? Doing well, man. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at your background. Stephanie posted pictures today that she's been been painting and preparing and all kinds of stuff. She has. It's uh my my man cave is coming together because my wife is doing all the work. <laughs> I'm 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 grateful for that. <laughs> Listen, uh, I I think that's the. I mean, she would hit us if she heard us saying this, but that's like the typical what women need to do: prepare my man cave, go in there and and get it ready for me. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like I, you know this about your sister. Like she's incredibly creative. She has mm-hmm. a very. She's very got a gift with a vision when it comes to, I mean, any number of things, but every, you know, you know, I'm in the Marine Corps. So we move every two to three years and she finds a way to make everywhere we've lived. And we're, this is probably house number 10 in the last 12 years. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, and she always finds a way to make them feel like home. And I, even when she throws ideas out there for new places that I'm just like, absolutely not. She <laughs> does it when I'm gone for an extended period of time. And I come back and I'm like, all right, so I don't argue with her anymore, and it's like I said, like less work for me to do if she's just going to go ahead and do it, and I'm very grateful for it. So, so I, I remember in uh, in Karen and I's first house, uh, it was much smaller than the place we live now, and so I was constantly rearranging furniture to try to like maximize the space, and uh, it was the same thing. Like the first couple of times, she would really try to fight me on it, and then I would just wait till she went to sleep and do it anyways, and then. She's like, oh, it actually doesn't look too bad. So uh, I haven't done it lately. We've got plenty of room, so I don't have to maximize the space. Um, so this is a Burroughs trait, bur- is what I'm hearing. Yeah, let's go ahead and have you guess. Which which parent do you think we get this from? Which which one? I'm going to go with Terry Barr. That would be uh, ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. This is definitely <laughs> – this is definitely from my mom. Yeah, I, I won't even do the hand yeah, Your mom does that to me with stuff, too. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, we're going to go and do this thing. I'm like, but no, no we're in the car. We're on the way. I'm Let's like, go. Let's though? go. <laughs> it's like, all right, you're my mother-in-law. I'm not going to fight you on this. Like, this is just. <laughs> That's, uh, yes. Yeah, we're, uh, so next week we're going on uh, a trip with Carrie's parents. And um, somebody was asking me, like, you know, how is that hanging out with in-laws? Like, oh, it's just different. It's just, it's just different. It's not, it's not bad. Yeah. And I said, and Carrie would say the exact same thing about my mom going and hang out with my mom. It's like, it's just, it's just different. And so, uh, uh, Carrie's 
parents are planners and um, mom is not. So it is uh, it is wildly different on those vacations. Wildly different. She is. She is not. She's. Uh, oh, I thought we'd do this, and we end up doing something completely different, like <laughs> half the time. So, but I love your mother, and I, I, I say this all the time, and I don't say this to like. I, I mean it out of like the utmost sincerity. Like I feel very lucky to have your your mom as my mother-in-law. Like I feel like we have a very special relationship, and uh, I don't know. I just see how some of my friends are with their in-laws. Yes. And I'm like, I don't have that problem at all. <laughs> so, you are lucky. You are lucky. Enjoy I'm very lucky. Enjoy <laughs> so, uh, so the topic today, our, our nerd topic is the book Helldivers. So I found this several years ago. And actually, uh, a one of our youth, I thought, had recommended this book as his favorite book. He described it. I read it. And then he said he had never heard of that book before. And I was like, wow, this is exactly what I thought you described. Um, the, the basic premise is that it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic book, uh, nuclear bombs go off. The surface of the earth is no longer habitable. And so humanity retreats into blimps. They live in, they live in, uh, in dirigibles, uh, above this, these storms that cover the surface and all of humanity lives in these ships. And the deal is, is these ships break down. And so there are, uh, soldiers called hell divers that launch to the surface to fight, Mutated beasts, uh, terrible conditions, um, you know, put their lives on the line. I think they said like uh, five missions was like the 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 15. standard length. 15, 15 missions is, is yeah. the average uh, to go and find those repair parts or supplies or whatever they need. Uh, and then they uh, shoot back up to the ship using um, helium balloons. So that's the the general premise here. Uh, and so we're introduced uh, at the place where there are only two ships left. There's only two ships left in this book. Uh, and uh, so, like I said, I started this a while ago. Book 10 just came out like a week and a half ago. Uh, I'll get into my thoughts in the series, but I really would love to hear. You just finished the first book. Uh, I listened to about 75% of it again just to kind of get ready for this. What did you think about Helldivers? It was good. It was different from a lot of the books that I normally read. Like most of my reading is uh, very much like nonfiction and history and economics, like politics, those kinds of things. So, but every, you know, fourth or fifth book, I like to throw in, you know, a fiction book. Um, but those are generally driven by like Tom Clancy type of books or Vince Flynn type of books. Right. Uh, so very like military spy type of stuff but i do like sci-fi obviously like I'm, i like star wars i like star trek i like all that stuff i don't generally read sci-fi books but this was it was super interesting it was pretty dark i really liked the description of the dives i don't i don't know if i could put like a percentage on how much of the book was spent on the dives probably more than half which is good it really the author did a really good job of kind of painting a picture of, of what the earth looked like <laughs> when they're like what at like three or four hundred years like living in yes. these blimps which is also just like absurd to think about and just the to try and grasp what cities look like after humans inhabited it several centuries ago right and just under the conditions of a of a nuclear not apocalypse. What am I? What's the word I'm looking for? Um, nuclear winter, nuclear fallout. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Nuclear winter. It's just uh, every climate change person's like biggest nightmare is like if you listen to any of them, like that's what the planet looks like now. So just it's it, it was really dark. 
It yes. was really dark. I will say that. Um, <laughs> I liked it. It was good. I'll, I will jump into the second and third books down the line. It's definitely something I want to continue reading, but it was much darker. <laughs> and, and I read some and I read I read some pretty dark stuff, you know, like, like Tom Clancy books. Those aren't like happy fairy tales, you right. know, like Vince Flynn, Vince Flynn, Mark Greeny, like those things. They're they have their darker elements, but there's they're they just seem to be a little bit cheerier than hell divers and that's not a bad thing it was just i i didn't know what to expect right. other than like our very brief conversation when you you know which you described at the beginning of the podcast i was like oh all right yeah no that seems like something i'd like to jump into no pun intended it was it was good i would i would absolutely recommend it to somebody who, who's looking for some kind of like action-packed like sci-fi like on planet earth like if you enjoy <laughs> like the uh, the apocalypse types of books like if you're watching like The Last of Us, for example, there's some I found myself thinking about some of the stuff from Helldivers uh, just from from a landscape perspective in The Last of Us. Do you watch that? Uh, I haven't. I haven't. I will. Okay. Uh, I had to drop yeah. HBO Max because they're the rate at which they're publishing content and that mm-hmm. I was consuming it was uh, there was a yeah. disparate level there. And so I'm going to yeah. drop it for a little while, let them build some more stuff back up and then jump back in. Yeah. It's it's uh it's it's wild because in The Last of Us and I don't want to hijack the podcast talk about the last no no of no us, no listen time, go for it I think I think it's gap, topic, topic adjacent yeah the, the the gap between incident and time of show is twenty years so two two decades vice like several centuries uh, and just to see in granted I know this is fiction and I know this isn't real but to just like just to see these yeah. things like the you know what what has happened physically to the planet in a in a contagion outbreak so i can it, again like it's 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 fascinating and terrifying at the same time like i have the you know i feel like a lot of humans have this weird obsession with like apocalypse type of scenarios and then you know when you start to you know everyone's like oh yeah i just go into the the mountains with my dog and i'm like yeah and you'd both probably die within a few weeks <laughs> like like let's be real like this is like we have created this system like you're not abraham lincoln you're not going to build a log cabin and like sustain yourself for long periods of time that's not how this works like we've built a society that you know we we're used to certain comforts and unless you become very tough very fast like you're and and that's it becomes even more like implausible when you start thinking about um, you know, nuclear uh, fallout type of scenario, which actually like there, I don't know if you want to jump into like some of the stuff in the book, like the, like the, I don't know, I, this is like a spoiler alert thing. Like how are we doing this? Like, <laughs> so, okay. So the book came out at least a decade ago. Uh, and okay. so we'll, we'll say this, if you, Too late, no spoilers, if, if you, if you are, <laughs> if you are not one of this book spoiled, cause up to this point you go, this sounds like my kind of book, pause the episode, listen to the book, read the book. Uh, and then come back and listen to it because we're gonna we're gonna talk about. It. I mean, it's hard to discuss a book and not have some spoilers there. Yeah, um, and that's fair. And it's a super short book. Like I think the audio book was like ten hours, and I listened to my stuff at like two x speed. Yes. So I got it knocked out in a few days. Yes. Yes. So it was. Uh, it's pretty, and it's easily digestible too. It wasn't one of those things where you're like, like I could have, in theory, like gotten through that thing in a day. Yes. Um, yep. Because it just it it flows. Like yep. and there's there are a few times where I had to pause it because I'm going in to my workspace and I can't bring my cell phone like where I'm just like, no, like it just got really good. Yeah. <laughs> then I gotta wait. Um, calling but, in uh, sick. I'm calling in sick today. Yeah, exactly. I'll be in tomorrow. I have, I have to finish hell divers. <laughs> like, this is important. And then my boss punches me in the throat. Yeah. So um, you're, you're yeah. pointing out, you know, the idea of, of, you know, several centuries have passed. One of my favorite little things in the book, just the little details. And I don't know what it looks like in the print book. 
but when they try to pronounce city names, it's been hundreds of years, and so they they mispronounce them. So it was like Chicago, Chicago. Is that where we're going? And dude, it was that was I was trying. So they talk about like they describe the city like very broadly, like their understanding of what it used to be. Right. And I'm right. like, okay, like I've got this narrowed down to like three places, like Washington D.C., New York City, or Chicago, and then his weird way of trying to pronounce it. I'm just like, okay, like <laughs> I, I chuckled. It was one of those moments in the books that was deliberately meant to be funny, but it yes. was just like, okay. Or like, that's, I guess that's like, a, that's a running gag. The number of times yeah. that it happens throughout the series, because they don't know how to pronounce these places. Yeah. They look at it and they're like, yeah. uh, Rio yeah, de like Janeiro. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like us trying to pronounce the names of like Greek philosophers. And yes. they're like, what, what yes. did you just say? Like, no man, like not even close. Or native so, American towns, native American settlements. That like, too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Watch yeah. a halakachi nacha. Is that it? I, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It was close. <laughs> so we'll get into, into the future series, like things that are coming, but I would say uh, just broad strokes. If you've watched, the Walking Dead, it's a similar feel there. If, if you look at the season to season, season to season, you'll have a season where it's just despair, and then you have a season where there's hope, and then something happens and wrecks the hope, and then there's a period of despair. <clears throat> and that's kind of how Helldivers goes, is they'll find some discovery that's going to make their lives so much better. And then something happens, and they have to work through that. And so uh, so that's one thing that comes in the rest of the series. It's really exciting. And two, if you look at early seasons of The Walking Dead, the villain is the zombies. Uh, and as you get further on in the season, that's just the backdrop, uh, which is exactly what happens with this nuclear fallout wasteland is it just becomes the backdrop. Uh, and the actual villain is the people on the left and the right of you. You know, like that's that's the actual villain. Uh, and you see a little bit of that in, in some of the riots and the things that are happening there uh, where it's, again, humans are humans and they... I mean, we're, we're looking at a place that was the entire world was decimated by nuclear bombs. So it's not like, you know, there's a altruistic view of humanity before they live in the blimps. But uh, that's kind of the, the, the way that it goes. Um, and so you, you mentioned it being dark and there are definitely periods where it is dark. But there are other times where you get to this thing and you get they're going to be OK. Like they're going to it's going to it's going to be all right. So I would encourage you to keep keep reading, keep chugging through those books. There are certain things that I was listening to this go around. I'm going, okay, that's a foreshadow to what happens here. And that's mm-hmm. what that's what here. So, like, uh, for example, the um, the husky dogs. They mentioned these are the last two husky dogs on Earth mm-hmm. or whatever else. And uh, in the future, there is a – it's not a spoiler of any kind, but one of the characters comes across a – genetically engineered dog that can live for like 60 years and it's and it's his it's his companion it runs around with him and and helps him hunt and do all these other kind of things and so so there are other dogs that are there and things like that so it's it's pretty interesting it's pretty interesting i've thoroughly enjoyed the series like i said i've got a trip i'm going on next week and so i will probably finish helldivers 10 on that trip just because i'll be driving so it'll be good i was i was talking to steph about doing this with you and i was telling her a little bit about the book she's like oh that sounds interesting and we're always trying to find audiobooks that we are both interested in yes, listening yeah. to on road trips because when we drive from where we've lived to florida where everybody else is well you guys are down there i mean that's usually at least a 10-hour drive and mm-hmm. we always it's not easy but when i described this this book to her she's like oh that sounds like something i'm interested in. and i was like perfect <laughs> there's 10 books so this is gonna last us for like the next seven christmases there you go so. there you go yeah. yeah um uh and whenever you guys need recommendations uh feel free to hit me up because i listen to a whole lot of audiobooks my goal this year is 100 uh 100 books total so 
that stuff wow. I've got to read for school, stuff I got to read for work, comic book volumes, not just like single issue comics yeah. um, and audiobooks too. So I've got plenty, plenty of recommendations. Wow. So um, the reason why I recommended this book uh, is even though it is sci-fi, I felt like it was pretty close to a military procedural, just in kind of the tone, uh, the description that they go through in, in tactics and moving across the landscape or tactics and getting to the surface. And so when you'd mentioned that you'd read it and you had a couple of comments, I can't remember what they were in the text message. I thought it would be fun because uh, given your background, you're a Marine, but even more so going through planning school, you know, disaster planning and things like that, uh, conflict planning, the general premise of this, of people retreating to blimps above the skies is obviously very far-fetched that, that those things would last in the air forever. And so I thought it'd be interesting just to ask you, like looking at this premise, the idea that the entire world is going to nuke itself, what would have, what would you change given your understanding, your education uh, to make the premise a little more believable? What do you think? I went way more tactical thinking about that um, <laughs> than I was thinking like strategic uh, based on your question. It's funny. You say um, tactical and strategic and I don't know the difference. Can you tell me the difference between tactical oh, okay. and strategic? Okay. Like strategic is like the application of ends, ways, and means, right? Like ends uh, is like your overall objective. Uh, ways and means are like, you know, the the methods in which you're going to execute and the means are like the resources you're going to use to do it. So strategic is like big picture, like overarching, like the blimps in the sky is like a strategic thing. Okay. Tactical is like what, like how they're employing the hell drivers on the ground, uh, which you know also what? has Let's strategic go both. implications. Let's go both. So. Let's go okay. both. I like it. So, okay. So, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm not, I don't really remember when they said when the actual disaster happened that caused everyone to have to flee in the blimps. Um, first of all, just thinking about the sheer size of these blimps based on what they describe in the book, like mm -hmm. live on them, like farms. If you have a farm on a blimp, <laughs> like how many people live on the blimp? I don't remember. I'm sure at some point in the book they said that, but I mean, this has got to be. It's hundreds. I mean, these blimps. It's hundreds that are on yeah. there. Yeah, so I mean, okay, so that's that's probably a little bit less than what I got from the way they were talking. I'm trying about to remember. I just listened to the scene where it talked about the um the Aries crashing, and I want to say it was like 500 and something was the 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 assumption okay. there. So okay, so that that seems like a little more manageable in terms of like the size of the blimp. But I'm trying to think of like the because they make it sound like it's a pretty large platform that is attached to the blimp. That's like mm. where the people reside. Because I'm also thinking about like. I don't know. Like once you get to a certain altitude, like the air is not breathable. <laughs> so they don't really. They talk. They're talking about helium to keep the air. You know, to keep the air to keep the 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 blimps afloat, which is important. But like, I don't know what they're getting the oxygen they're breathing. I'm sure there's some kind of like technology that 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 they're surviving on, or maybe their bodies have just adapted over so many years. Who knows? Whatever. I think uh, I think it would have been cool to kind of have them come like. Like the blimps being like an intermediate staging base, that being like a lily pad from someplace off planet where they had to come back down to the Earth mm. because there were some resources that that they needed to to sustain life abroad. Right. Yeah. Um. Just mainly because, like, again, like I try not to be my dad when it comes to like sci-fi and like you know, like when my dad watches like superhero movies, he's like, "That's BS," and I'm like, "Dad, it's a it's a superhero <laughs> he's movie. He's flying. Game. He's flying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he can't do, I'm like, it's just he just 
it's just the kind of stuff my dad does not enjoy. But he loves Guardians of the Galaxy, which blows my mind. He loves Guardians it's of the, the Galaxy. He, it's the music. He, That's what it is. You're right. You're one <laughs> Your sister and I have talked about this. We're convinced that the reason my dad likes Guardians of the Galaxy is because of the music. So anyways, different discussion for a different time. You're 100% right, though. <laughs> um, that's hilarious, and it's immediately what you jump to. But anyways, coming back to, like, I'm, I try not to, like, you know, earlier you talked about, like, how, like, human nature would have manifested, you know, earlier on in, in like, the 400-year time gap since, mm-hmm. you know, from the time time now in the book and origin of the disaster mm-hmm. and all the crap that they're dealing with on the on the blimp, they're dirigible. I'm just like, how, how is this just now manifesting itself? Mm-hmm. Like, this seems like something, like, that would have ended humanity – or not in the humanity, like at least ended the blimps individually long ago. And it's all, it also just reminds me of anyways, I'm jumping down different paths now, but either way, you know, from like a strategic level, I think I would have liked to have seen, um, you know, I, I don't want to be too critical because it was a good book. Right. I just, you know, I'm like spitballing Rocky's ideas. Like, yeah. you know, I think I would have liked to see like the, the dirigibles, like an intermediate station base where like plant, you know, a, a much larger size of the population now lives on Mars or something like right, Elon pulled right. it off guys. Like we live there now. <laughs> he did it. You know, j- just in time. Exactly. Just in time guys. Um, I know everyone's mad at him right now because of Twitter, but that's a different discussion for different time. Uh, he's trying to say, he's trying to save humanity guys. Shut up about Twitter. That's right. That's right. Um, I had a really hard time reconciling the, the couple of blimps carrying around humanity's last ditch effort or the last, the last hope for humanity, like for that, for that long, it just seems super, super impractical, like sustaining livestock for that long and vegetables and the farms, like, and again, like, again, I know it's sci-fi. I just, you know, what, what, what would I have changed from like, you know, big picture? Probably that. The, the vast makeup of who escaped in the blimps were the children of the military officials that, that caused the damage sure. um yep. number one number two they, they go over that squares up they, yeah they go over uh the the amount of disease that runs rampant in the blimps mm-hmm. uh that the mm-hmm. flu yes. so so that that yep. probably keeps that population narrowed down pretty good yeah uh and they also talk about uh radiation poisoning that they they have these nuclear yeah. reactors and so that's causing so i'm sure all that kind of levels out that population and who knows how many ships they started with all we know is that there's two left they're down to two yeah and so which is also just like blows my mind like there are two there are two blimps left one of them is gone by the end of the book and now you're on book 10 like i'm so confused like there's got to be more that happens because again it's just like it just listen it, I, I, I i am all for after the call spoiling all 10 books for you but uh but it's it's a I'm lot big it's, it, it, well, I mean, it's 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 just a lot bigger it's just a lot bigger yeah. than, they, than than you think the short of it some is ideas on like where it can go. The short of it is like there's, there's other groupings of people that weren't on the blimps that survived. Sure. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. I was yeah. like, hang on, yeah. you're going to tell me on this giant freaking planet, on this giant planet, there's nothing anywhere, anywhere that's even remotely inhabitable. Yeah. So again, like for, for fear of like straying from the scope of book one, like I think you just kind of like, affirmed yeah there's confirmed there's other groups assumptions there's other groups yeah, other okay. other so the the blimps were basically america's attempt there was america's attempt mm-hmm. to save people other countries had other plans other countries had other okay. plans other ways very of doing interesting things. very interesting good so, I'm glad uh, to hear that. yes so it's 
listen, uh, it has it has kept my interest. It has kept my interest over across ten books. So um, I'm interested to hear tactically. I'm guessing you're talking about retrieving parts and things like that. Uh, yeah. That piece of it. Yeah. What would what would you do differently there? You think? I just again like not trying to like make this too like well this would never happen in real life because that's not fun. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. One the... quick thing. One quick thing. So I did a podcast talking about Thor: Love and Thunder with a buddy of mine, and one of my Love that movie so one, much. One of my beefs was that Taika Waititi yet again brings in the LGBTQ agenda and has the two rock monsters create uh create a child two men rock monsters creating a child. And I mentioned that and the guy was doing the the episode. That he goes, "You mean the two rock monsters that hold hands create a baby? Like they're the space people? Like you want to go ahead?" I go, "Okay, all right, I got you." Well, I, get I you. mean that's that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. These yeah, are these are yeah. rock space people. I guess I probably shouldn't yeah. get too maybe, maybe whatever it is possible in yes. a weird way that yes. I don't want to get into. Like, yes, they hold hands um, and create a baby. That's okay. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. That's that's it's science, CJ. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, science. So, tactical on the ground, how would you change it? Yeah, I just, it's really like the way they build the teams. Like, you just have this main character, X, who, like, is a, I don't want to say a rotten drunk, but he's a drunk. Like, and he somehow survived, like, by the end of the book, like 97, 98 dives when the average diver survives 15. But this guy is just drunk on everything that he does. And I just, you know, I they keep feeding his team humans. I'm like, all right, at what point do you run out of humans to, like, feed his team? <laughs> like, maybe we should. It's just like, I mean, it's very the the Vladimir Putin approach to, you know, force management. We're just like, oh, we'll just pull people out of prison. It's like, well, then they're going to die, too, because these aren't, like, properly trained people. You right. just say, hey, your turn, and then you, you drop out of the spaceship. Yeah. You drop out of the blimp, and you ride your little thing down. And and then, like, at least one or two people die on every jump. And it's like, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, based on the way they send those guys out there, of course they're going to die. They're not trained. They aren't, like, a good – they aren't a team. Like, they don't. there's right. no implicit communication. It's – it's I, I get that they all have their own skills. And that's that's awesome. Like, we all have unique and special skills. <laughs> the reason why, like, small formations in the soft community are so effective is because of the amount of training that they do together as a group to build that cohesion and to build that implicit communication. So – I don't have to convey exactly what I'm about to do with my team. And I'm not soft for anybody that's listening. So if I <laughs> bludgeon something, then please, like, whatever. Like, it's I'm making a general comparison. Uh, people listen to my di- podcast, go to church with me. They ain't got any idea what you're talking about. You're good to go. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But at the end of the day, like, the way they throw these hodgepodge teams together, I get it. They're working with limited resources. But no wonder so many people freaking die and, you know, at right, such a right. rapid rate. There's no – it does not appear – based on the course of the book, that there's any serious course of training, like rigorous, like realistic training, which right. is what, you know, we do in the real world with the right. military force. That's how we can get away with these small formations conducting these high-end exquisite ops because um, of the training continuum that we put them through. So, I mean, I don't want to sit there and listen to like three chapters on the training program that they went through <laughs> necessarily, but, you know, if you could, if they could like at least allude to the fact that they had like, you know, they spent the last month you know, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, like, about it. I mean, at one point, like, one X's team dies, and then three new teammates show up, and one of them is really good at cracking safes or something, like, yeah. really good at, like, I'm just like, oh, okay, so she's qualified to be a hell diver, how? <laughs> so, a couple things in here, so a couple things to kind of help 
fill in some of the gaps. Number one, we learn in the book that X's wife died a year ago. So we don't know if he was a drunk up until that point or just in the last year, mm, he's kind of gone off the deep end. Um, uh, and we also don't know how often these operations are happening. We don't know how often these dives are going. Uh, and You're so right. it could have only, I mean, we the, the one that we are introduced to at the very beginning of the book could be one of the first dives he's done since his wife died. You know, like we're not sure kind of what that looks like. The idea is that he's extremely proficient in what he does, extremely proficient in what he does. Two, on the yeah. training aspect, I noticed this this time because I was thinking the same thing. Um, he gets these new three team members, but later they're getting ready to jump off the top of the dirigible. And um, it's almost like they talk about how many dives they've already done. And this is his team that's brand new. So I'm wondering if there is some kind of training period between what's happening back and forth uh times you know wibbly wobbly a little bit in, in his book so there yeah, may yeah. they may have some training because like um one of the guys gets gets uh some kind of side draft and is just spinning out and is still able to write himself to to land and so there's some kind of training yeah. happening somewhere but uh it's definitely their first their first dangerous dive so i wonder if they're doing a lot of green area dives so so there's a couple things there a couple things there as far as uh, tactically what that looks like but but yes no i understand and again maybe that's how they keep population in check is you've got these hell divers that are dying at a regular <laughs> they base just, they just factor in the the, the death rate of hell divers yes. which is yes. i mean yeah anyways it's blows my mind like x himself and the fact that he's made 96 dives at the beginning of the book and everyone's like wow that's so many and it's like well i mean like there's applicability to that like in actual like real world combat like people who've like people who've been in firefights before like tend to like inherently understand what's what's going on a little more than you know someone who's taking fire for the first time right and it's you just there are things that you just it's it's instinct and experience uh things that you can't shock up to and if you know there's things that you just get over over a period mm -hmm. of reps and sets so the fact that I mean, I get it. It's dangerous. Like they do, the author does a really good job of of illustrating how dangerous the surface is. Uh, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying when you hear it. it's like I, I, everything. It's I'm trying to think of like another movie or book comparison. Where it's like every oh, it's like Avatar. It's like everything on this planet will kill you. Yes. It's like yeah, yeah, yes. okay. And then you see him go out there, and you're like, oh no, it will. <laughs> Except it's way worse in Hell Divers than it is in Avatar. Yes, there's a oh. there's a scene in one of the books where uh, one of the characters is on a boat just going over empty black water and it's like you see all these ripples and things underneath the water and it's it's even worse man nope. it's even worse nope. <laughs> nope hard pass i'm out of the boat i don't like boats anymore i don't so, need the beach <laughs> so what do you want to see more of in future books like what do you you've seen a little bit here what do you want to see more of uh in future or even less of i want to see less of this more of this i mean honestly kind of coming back to my point about training i'd like to see a team make more than one jump without half of them not coming back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, you know, like I get it. Like eventually someone's gonna die just just based on you know how how inherently dangerous making the jumps are. But I, I'd like to see X put together a team that is successful over a period of time <laughs> uh, that doesn't and, and oh oh well, it takes away like it takes away from the story if some people keep coming back. It's like no, it just shows a proficient team's been built. Like. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, that's that's the main thing I'd like to see. Okay. Um, there's there's stuff about the book that just drove me nuts, but it, they're the things that drive me nuts about like the real world, where all of the uh, the people who live the lower half 
like the um what what do they call that that like the lower class of people yeah um yeah just the equivalent of just like really poor people in like today's society and like yes i get it like your your life is miserable and it sucks and hell divers you know have a have a significantly better quality of life than you do well first of all hell divers are probably going to live a lot less longer than you are and right. two they're doing the work to like keep you guys alive right and so i i, I get the frustration and i mean that's kind of like my I have that rule of frustration with people who are mad at, at business owners who become wealthy, you know, when they risk everything they had to start a business in the first place. It's just yeah. like, hey, I get it. Like, you, you're you're allowed to be frustrated that that someone is more successful than you. Like, it's it it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to want their things because they're more successful than you. Yeah. Uh, or 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 really understanding the context of of the value that they provide uh, to your quality of life that you may or not may or may not be willing to actually acknowledge publicly. And that's kind of like what's going on, like with the, with the lower class and, you know, I get it. They want medicine. It's like, well, there's not a lot of medicine to begin with. Like, right. Do you have some kind of high quality job that like keeps other people on, on the ship alive? Okay. Well, you're not going to be at the top of the priority list. And it's not because we think we're better than you. It's pra- it's, it's, it is a pragmatic existential decision. Right. It's not like it's not like a middle finger. It's like, hey, look, like if I have to choose between giving this one shot of life saving medication to the person who I'm not going to pick a job, but somebody, you know, to to the only engineer we have left on the ship or somebody who does something that five or six other people can also do. Right. I'm going to give it to the engineer. And it's not right. because I think I value the it's not because I think less of the person who does a job that six other people do. It's because. The one engineer that's left yes. does something that nobody else could do yep. and provides a, a value or service that is irreplaceable at that point in time. So it's not like it's a it's a it's a crappy decision to make. It's not a tough decision to make. So and just like seeing the the riots that start up on the dirigible, like it just made me roll my eyes. Like it was it was a good part of the story, but it just it reminded me of so much stuff that's going on right now. So, no, I hear in, I in mean, the real world. They, you know, they threaten their food source and their home to for for what end? They, they, yeah, it's, yeah. It, I'm you're, gonna you're... kill us all unless you. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, man. Like you're kind of making the point right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you ever read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Any of those books? Mm, no. Uh, it, I mean, it's chock full of of British dry humor. But there is one segment where some planet sends off what they think are all the most useless people. And it was like the people that cleaned, clean telephones, like that was their job was to clean telephones. And I forgot the other ones were, but they send them off on the ship. And then um, uh, everyone at back of the planet dies because of some virus that was living on the telephones that the telephone cleaners were going around and doing it. And so it was just this, yeah. this tongue in cheek, like, oh, you thought you were useless. It's yeah, I get it. Like, you know, everyone's got a role to play. Yes. Um, but, but, and I, you know, like I, I do my, you know, I'm, getting personal now like you know i do my best to try and like value everybody equally right uh but but that's not living in a vacuum like i live in a world you know you know in america we're, we're lucky to live in a world of, of plenty right you know for the most part and i don't right. really have to make the decision between saving one person or the other but if it came down to it like i'd do it like yes. not because i want to not because, not because i enjoy making those decisions but you know like tough decisions need to be made to like for for everybody else like i, I get it so it's just you know, they they put a lot of pressure on the captain. I don't remember her name. Um, captain they did Ash. a really yeah, Captain Ash. They did a really, really good job of of illustrating uh what we call like the burden of command. And that's mm. like being in that position, holding that authority 
over large groups of people whose very survival relies on your decision making. I thought that was very well done. And I didn't even think about that part of the book until like we started kind of going on about this. But that was I thought that was very like managing a guy like X, like he's a friggin' wild card. She's like, <laughs> oh, my God. But she lets stuff fly with him. Not because she's okay with it, but because she's like, hey, look, like if, if this is what he needs to do to blow off steam, I will assume that risk right. over losing him, period. And right. It's just it was it was practical and realistic and just I really liked her character a lot. I would have liked to see more of her. I remember she died at the end of the book. I know that she's sick. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. I think yeah. it's at the end of this okay. one. Uh, I will okay. say that she's not in book 10. Oh, OK. She's not in book 10, which makes sense. I mean, she's like older and. Yes. Well, I don't know what old is relative in the book. I think she's like in her forties, and like it sounds like they're lucky to make. Ancient. Yes. Yeah, in that in this book, it's freaking ancient. <laughs> so like, between her advanced age and you know her cancer, like I don't know how long she makes it. Yeah. Um, but I liked her character. Like she did a she did a really tough job, uh, and she did it well in my opinion. So I liked her a lot. Okay, so let's uh let's make it a little a little personal here. I have a couple uh, questions for you to think about. If you were in the books, I'll answer as well. Would you rather pilot the dirigible, so that that weight of command, mm-hmm. or be a hell diver? Like, which one are you going to pick of those two? One is a slow, painful death, and one is a very quick death. So, uh, where, where do you think you're wanting to be at? That's a really tough question. I think I'd feel, you know, again, like being the hero of my own story. Like, I'd want to be a very successful hell diver. Not necessarily X's 96 jumps, but for, you know, a, a a remarkable number of jumps and then get to a point where it's like, OK, like I've I'm I feel like, I, you know, and among those jumps were things that had, were of such an impact that they like warranted like my ability to retire and take on a different role. Right. Well, that was but, that was the interesting I didn't remember about the the diver from the other ship was his mm-hmm. plan was to train hell divers after that jump. Like that was that was his plan. Was I'm just gonna I'm gonna train hell divers. I've got experience. I've got know how. I'm yeah. gonna take this and train. So yeah, I can see that. I can yeah, see that. And and eventually like roll it because at some point like it just becomes like impractical to to keep jumping. Just it, it sounds like the physical toll that that your body takes from these things is just. You know, like, you know, even for Marines, like you can't be like a grunt for forever. Eventually, like you're not like out there, like rolling in the mud with your Marines anymore. Like you're still out there, like enduring, like, you know, a certain level of suffering with them. But at some point it gets to like, where it's like, okay, like my body is not physically capable (laughs) of carrying this 90 pound pack plus my 15 pound rifle and all the rounds that go with it in my body armor. It's just not pragmatic. So you got to, you know you eventually escalate like it, it, you become you have an outsized impact on the group by using your background and experience to you know hopefully train some very qualified right. and very capable uh hell divers you know the longer you live theoretically the more hell divers you're creating like if you it's just it's an i don't know it's just a numbers thing like if, if yeah. i you know if i let's say i survived 10 years and did like 50 60 jumps you know, maybe time to start like training other people to go do those jumps. Right, right. right. And, and then eventually maybe be the one like like taking over the ship. Like I don't know if I feel comfortable like going straight down like the uh uh the dirigible pilot path. I feel like I would kind of feel like I was not necessarily skipping steps or or even like going the easy route because it's not an easy route. I just I don't know if I feel comfortable living that life without having endured 
the challenge of, of a hell diver. I don't know if I feel yeah. qualified to, uh, to call the shots, uh, on an existential level for the dirigible, uh, without having, uh, that experience or the shared suffering on the ground. Yeah. I think either one, e- either, either position you take has got, it's, it's, it's got its definite drawbacks. And so if I'm looking at these two, uh, I would rather be in a critical role, but replaceable as a hell diver. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing what mm-hmm. I need to, uh, you know, taking the bull by the horns. But if I go down, there are other hell divers. The idea mm-hmm. of if I make a mistake in piloting the dirigible and I pull it into a electrical storm, well, now there's, there, it doesn't matter. Like it's over, like it's, it's over. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no, there's no safety net. Um, it's less, I mean, it feels like less of a team sport. It is very much team sport, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think I, I would agree with you. One thing I caught when I was listening this time was it was talking about, they when they're going in jumps, they get really upset because they could only go after the needed supplies, and so that made me wonder, like, what are these guys collecting? I'm wondering what they're collecting. Like, they're they're going through these buildings, and this guy, I, I'm just picturing like one guy collecting bobbleheads, just old 400 year old bobbleheads that he steals, tucks in his pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was wondering uh, if you're a hell diver and you're looking like, what other things are you taking back besides the needed supplies? Like, what are you collecting while you're down there? Oh. Oh, all I can think about right now is. Woody Harrelson in Zombieland and just his <laughs> his his undying quest to find Twinkies. Uh, so you know, I don't want Twinkies, uh, but taking some creative license, taking some creative license, and assuming that not everything on the planet is saturated in yes, radio. It's not radioactive. I'm looking for candy, candy <laughs> or soda, like cra- you know, crap that I can't grow. Like there aren't there aren't yep. sweet tart machines. Or, or like, uh, I don't know. I've been <laughs> Sweet Tart came out with this new candy that's like a hard shell and chewy inside. It's nice. like a, it's amazing, and like I'm obsessed with them right now. Like that's what I would go and find. I, I can't remember <laughs> what they're called, but I would, I would. That's what I would look for every time I'm down there, or some, or something that would be beneficial, like in terms of like, like a jump survival kit. Um, you know, things that would enhance like. The equipment set that I already take with right. me. So if I have an old busted axe that I use for a number of things, and I, you know, somehow I find this, I'm wandering through a Dick's Sporting Goods that's been abandoned for forever and found <laughs> the last remaining axe on Earth, like a practical axe, not like a, uh, not like a wooden, big wooden axe. And like like pretty one of those, like yeah, 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 just like a, a tactical tomahawk, more or less. Like you know, I, I look for stuff like that to try and make my kit like more efficient and. Right. Uh, make me more effective at surviving. What about you? Uh, I think those are those are great points. I'm I'm picturing like so so the the dive they make. I don't know what the what the first one was, but the second one was in a red zone. The idea that this is the most dangerous of places, and so I'm just picturing these guys dropping in on a green zone where it's they're just getting supplies, they're looking for things, and they're just grabbing all kinds of stuff. Things I would collect. I would say if it was if it was me, if it was CJ, and I'm doing this, I'm probably collecting books. Uh, if I find a find a book tucked nice. in my in my pack, um, I'm reminded of like um, it's way more practical. Yeah, Tom Big Tom Cruise's. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. I mean, listen, I get that too. I get that too. But I'm thinking like Tom Cruise's character on Oblivion, where he's like he's tucking these books away oh, as he's there. Oh man, such you, a good movie. You know, so like he, I, I can see that because I'm stuck on the ship and I'm just surrounded mm-hmm. by whatever. You know, I can see I can see collecting yeah. those things. I'm sure that I would uh, have some kind of collection that I was pulling things for. Like, you know, I'm thinking right now for me, a lot of it's Funko Pops, you know? And so like, I'm sure there'd be something that I was yeah. looking for, uh, you know, 
uh, wanting to grab a magnet, a magnet from every place we jump. Like, all right, Chicago and Buenos Aires, <laughs> right? You know, like just like having yes, all these magnets yes. on the on the hall of of my room <laughs> in the dirigible uh, of places that we've jumped. Like, I can see, I can see uh, doing that. Yeah. Uh, as far as you know, useful things. I think you're right. I think uh, finding extra gear. You know, funny enough, in the future books, in the in the coming books, like the gear they have gets exponentially better than what they have now. So it's it's wow, it's it gets it would pretty, have it gets to. Sweet. It would have to. It, it Everything gets, they talk about in the first book, I'm like, how are these people gonna like? It, yes. It's like I'm trying to put like, like there's a nuclear fallout. Like you and I have been living in a basement for like six months, and we're on our our last can of Pringles, Chef Boyardee, yeah, yeah or Pringles <laughs> or whatever. And like that's what that that's we don't have any water left. Like yeah, that's yeah. that's what this book gives you the impression is happening. And I'm just like, and they just end the book in this nebulous fashion where it's just like, well, what's or ambiguous fashion, not nebulous, ambiguous. So it's just like, oh yeah, I'll see you later. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean I'll see you later? Like, Again, to to, to, to so. pull it back to the idea of, of of tying this to the Walking Dead. Uh, you know, when you have Rick waking up in the hospital and he has nothing and he's got a scrounge yes. thing. Yes, that's book one. Terrifying. That's Terrifying. book one. Okay, that's and fair. and and as he goes and he begins to, I mean, and, and like I said, you look at you know the the later seasons and it's like, oh, there's a horde of zombies. That's cool. We got we've got everything we need to take care of thousands of them. So it, it, it's it's similar. It's similar there. Um. Yeah. So I would, but I would be looking for for those kind of things. But yeah, it the it gets interesting. It gets interesting. It's it, they're worth they're worth checking out. Last question, personal question here. What would you call your squadron squadron of hell divers? So you had Team Raptor, Team Apollo. Team Angel. Uh, I didn't get the uh, whatever the, the Aries teams were. Um, I don't remember mm-hmm. those. But what are you what are you calling your squadron of Helldivers? I, I had a tough time thinking about this just because you know, like, do I go for like the super aggressive thing or do I go for his creative thing? And just being like a a military history nerd and just as a Marine, like we were very serious and reverent to our our history. And, and those who came before us. So I tried to think of something historical that, that kind of referenced like the type of suffering or difficulty that, that would pay homage to, to warriors who lived before. So um, I couldn't really come up with anything like super cool, but there's a, the reason behind it. I, I'm, I, I like, so there's two that I came up with. One is marine related, one is not marine related. <laughs> so I'll start with, you know, in historical order. The first one, uh, Ulysses S. Grant is like one of my like all time favorite people from history. He would absolutely make like my, you know, your five people at dinner from any time, any point right. in time. Right. He'd absolutely be there. I don't know how loquacious or talkative he would be, but he's certainly one of the most fascinating people who's ever lived, in my opinion. But uh, one of the things I, I love about him is just his grit and determination. And one of the first battles in which he was a main commander in the Civil War was the Battle of Shiloh. Uh, and, and the Union got whipped on day one. Like, it was bad. It was brutal. Like, they didn't lose. Like, both sides took took a beating. Uh, but at the end of the battle, um, Tecumseh, William Tecumseh Sherman, his his best friend and, like, his subordinate in, in that battle, uh, came up to him and said, wait, you know, we've had, we've had the devil's own day, haven't we? And, and Grant's response was, yep, look them tomorrow though. Like, yeah, today sucks, but mm-hmm. we, tomorrow is ours. And just, I don't know that, that quote, like, like hits me in the feels just thinking about like, just enduring the type of suffering and, and pain and just, 
like understanding what he experienced as a leader in that moment. And he just had the grit to just, you know, bear down and say, yeah, got it. Today was awful, but it's not over. So, so Shiloh is one. And then as a Marine, obviously like I got to go like something for Marines. And there's like a very famous battle from world war one and Bella wood uh, where like, you know, Marine lore tells, tells us that the Marines fought so ferociously that the Germans, called the Marines fighting in Bella Wood, uh, Tufuhunda, which is devil dogs. So that's why Marines call ourselves devil dogs to this day. So team Tufel or team Tufuhunda, just, you know, devil dogs. I don't want to go with team devil dog. That's just, that's too overt and too, yeah. uh, too obnoxious, but I like team Tufuhunda. <laughs> so it's kind of, a, it's got a little of a, a, a lore to it. And again, corny, cheesy, but I'm a Marine, I'm a Marine history nerd. So there you go. Yes. No, I what got about you. you? I got you. So, uh, you know, but the the first thing that popped in my mind was like something like Wolfpack or whatever was was kind of the the first whatever. But really, to the desert. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, just trying to think, you know, what, you know, I'm trying to think. The other one, they all the all the team names were flying related. You know, uh, Apollo yeah, and his yeah, chariot yeah, sure, and angel, whatever else. So okay, well, uh, oh, my favorite uh, flying animal would be a uh, would be a falcon, uh, you know, a peregrine falcon. So, oh yeah, that's a good you know, one. Team falcon, I like that. But then I was like, well, that was Pete West's call sign when we did Nerd Wars and stuff. So I don't want to do Pete. Mm-hmm. So like, well, and then I think what was mine and it was Rabbit Yoda. I was like, yes, the Yoda. Yeah, we're the Yodas. The Yoda. That's it. Team Yoda. Team Who's Yoda. Yoda. Yeah, he was yeah. a great master a long time ago. <laughs> wise, in the wise away. master. He said, "Do or do not. There is no try." We will get the supplies. And that's what we do. That's what, that's we, what do. we do. <laughs> We're the doers. We're the doers. Uh, so, we make uh, stuff happen. So it's definitely going to probably uh, uh, Yoda Squad. I like Yoda Squad. Uh, that's good. I like that. Yep, Yoda yep. Squad. Nice. Nice. We'll get t shirts. Do or we'll, do not. There is yeah. no try. <laughs> Which that was so, uh, so too, the, the fortune cookie that 10 gave to X when he dropped uh, becomes this kind of running ribbon throughout the, the books. Uh, that, that's, I forgot about the fortune cookie. Um, okay, I forgot what all it said, but it was like meet the yeah. whatever that whole phrase becomes either it becomes a ribbon in the books or it's some famous phrase that I'm forgetting that's somewhere else. But I've heard yeah. that over and over again. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's that's where it's from. Um, well, cool. Well, I've got one more question here, but it may be uh, it may be a little little deep. I'm not sure. It's your call. We can either do this or, okay. or wrap it up. But um, uh, another phrase that they say over and over again uh, is the hell divers say we dive so humanity survives. Obviously, it's this, this concept of sacrificing yourself for the good of the whole, for the good of many. Uh, and you're a Marine, which is kind of y'all's deal, y'all's deal. So thinking about that, why did you choose that line of work? Why did you choose to be a Marine? And don't say the Marines chose me. I didn't choose the Marines. That's that's dumb. Tell me why no. you chose. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in a in a non like ironic way, like I, they they kind of did in that like both my parents are Marines. Like I would not be here if it weren't for the Marine Corps bringing my parents together. So that's obviously not why I I joined the Marine Corps. But I, you know, from a young age, like it's what I wanted to do. It's what my parents did, which is perfectly normal, perfectly natural. Like kids grow up, see what their parents do for a living, and that's what they want to do. Um, but as I got older. I realized like, no, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, and you know, that's why I, I worked really hard to, you know, to get into the Naval Academy and, and go there. And then once I got there, you know, you choose between the Navy and the Marine Corps and my dad, he, my dad, like on an alarming number of occasions was like, you know, 
you don't need to be a Marine for us to be proud of you. Like you could join, you can go Navy if you wanted. Like <laughs> the number of times he asked me that, and I'm just like, dad, do you think, do you think I'm going to be a bad Marine or something? Like what's going on? And, and, you know, it came out that he just, he and my mom wanted to be, wanted to make sure that I didn't feel any pressure from them mm. to go down that route as it is. Like I, I'm, I'm not convinced they didn't feel like they kind of shouldered a little bit of the burden that I, I just, I wanted to join the military at such a young age mm. because, you know, I felt an obligation to, to please them. Um, it wasn't about wanting to please them. It was about wanting to emulate them because I admire and respect my parents and the standard that they set. And, you know, I grew up around Marines and there were very few that I met where I was like unimpressed. They're just like, in general, they're good human beings who, you know, people I wanted to surround myself with. And like, I have a very obnoxiously romantic perspective of on duty. Um, you know, I, I, I finished my service obligation 10 years ago to, to the, to the country after, you know, my Naval Academy time. And I just, at no point have I felt like I returned that. If that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I still feel a sense of duty and a sense of purpose to, to serve the country, to lead Marines, try and lead them well. Again, obnoxiously romantic, but I love this country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's, there are very few things that I would put, if anything, that I'd put over this country. And, you know, that's, it's what I believe. It's, it's worth fighting for as obnoxious and as painful as it's been for the last several years. I still believe in it. And mm. I realize that that's, you know, kind of uh, naive is not the word. Pollyannish is not the word. It's it's a very romantic notion of, of an idea that I believe is worth fighting for. There's a lot of things that interest me on the other side, but I always find myself wondering if I would feel fulfilled doing those things. Not that I mean, there's there's all, you know, being a teacher, like serving in the ministry. There's so many things that, that people do that that are, you know, that are purposeful, mm. that 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 involves service. This is, this is my calling. This is where I'm at. It's just, it's, I don't know, like an obnoxiously sense of <laughs> romance and, and duty. Like, and I, I'll be the first person to acknowledge that. Like, it's just, I feel compelled to be here and, and not like gun pointed to my head compelled. It's just, that's, that's where I feel my purpose is and where I'm supposed to be. Mm. Mm. Well, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate you sharing that. Well, man, hey, I appreciate you taking some time and talking hell divers with me. We'll have to have you on when you finish the second book. We'll talk about the second. Okay, book. I'll, I'll bump that up in the queue. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll set up. We'll set a hard date because I, I've got fifty other books I got to get through. But if we set a date, then I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be able to prioritize it. Sounds good. So, but I, I definitely, I definitely want to get into them though. This will be fun if we can kind of make this little thing every, you know, every couple of months. So yep. I'd definitely be interested in doing that. Yeah, man. We'll set a date. We'll set it. Sounds good. When's the next trip you got coming up? Oh, uh, we're going to Jacksonville next weekend for my buddy's wedding. One of my classmates from the Naval Academy is getting married. So we're flying down there. It's like a 48 hour trip. We're flying in on Saturday <laughs> morning. The wedding's on Sunday and we're flying out on Monday morning. So nice. honestly, I think you're the first person in the family to know. <laughs> uh, well, I will. Uh, luckily, this will be posted after that trip. So you won't be on the hook of going and visiting any of them. They'll just know that you were here Excellent. later. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. It's always there's always that little bit of guilt where we're like, hey, like, do we do we like cram in like a very quick breakfast or how yeah. does this work? And she's like, no, we just need to, 
We just we just go do the wedding. I mean, it really is just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, so, no, I got you. I, I would yeah. say uh, if at any point you're like, man, I feel like we should let somebody know. If you were to send a group text to everybody and say, we will be at this restaurant for this meal. If you want to hang out, this is where you need to get. I think you'd have a few bites. I think you'd have a few bites. People yeah. showing up uh, and then it's yeah. on them. You know, like I we have carved yeah. out an hour and a half. We're going to have lunch and see yes. you guys. It's a short trip. Yeah, I had uh, some buddies fly into Orlando uh, last week. And um, I said, hey, do you have any time? They go, we can do Sunday for dinner. I said, gotcha. I'll meet you there. <laughs> I'll meet nice. you there. Yeah. So we will not be here. So we're going to be heading okay. to Tallahassee. So we're not going to nice. interrupt. Um, yeah. But if you, and again, if you want to come to Jacksonville and have a trip, just you and your wife, that's fine. I went to Jacksonville yeah. a couple of weeks ago and did not think once of saying, hey, dad, let's get together while Kara and I are not are without kids for a day and a half. Like we at no point. Love you, dad. Love you, Carol. However, yeah. <laughs> comma. <laughs> I will. I will time. see you another time. I will see you another time. But right now I'm going to enjoy time. Just me and my wife. I think that's I was- uh, that's perfectly understandable. I will see you later. I will see you at another time. <laughs> well, sounds good. Well, hey, Rocky, uh, if uh, listeners want to find you on social media, do you feel weird sharing where you're at? No, 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 no. I don't really. I mean, I post most of my stuff on LinkedIn, but uh, I usually will go and immediately repost it on on Twitter. And again, like uh, it's uh, Rocky SBN, like uh, uh, sports blog nation SBN. I used to write for a blog on SBN. I don't anymore. And I've been too lazy to change my, uh, <laughs> my Twitter handle. So it's Rocky SBN. If anyone's interested, I'm usually tweeting about sports or international security stuff or international relations type of things. So if you're interested in that, follow me. <laughs> well, sounds good. Well, Hey man, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, brother. That's fun. It was a good time. I'll talk to you guys later. Sounds good. As I mentioned, when we were discussing hell divers, in the future books in the series, the actual environment uh, isn't the true villain. It begins to fade away, and instead, who the true villain is are the other humans that are alongside the heroes in the books. And it reminded me of a recent altercation I had on the LTN server, where someone came in and was asking uh, what the server's position was on a controversial issue. And, and what the people who were on the server, what their particular beliefs were. And so I prepared myself for what I assume was going to be an attack by someone who is antagonistic against the faith, against Christianity. But when we answered, when we began to answer that question, what we learned was that this person was in fact a Christian. However, while we may have, some of us agreed with his position, his tactic for sharing that position Uh, His methodology for sharing with others was, in our opinion, not Christ-like. He was very aggressive, very antagonistic, uh, and it was very off-putting. And when we began to try to talk with them and encourage them to build a relationship and to temper their emotions a little bit and allow for a discussion, it never really went anywhere. And I ended up going to a passage in Ephesians to just try and spend some time talking into this area. Because the truth is that as Christians, yes, there are evil forces opposing us. Uh, there are spiritual forces that are opposing us, and those definitely are things that we need to be aware of. But we also need to understand that uh, people who are Christians next to us can also cause some serious damage, and so we have to be ready to have a discussion with them as well. Realize that they, while maybe not an enemy, that may not be the best word to use there, um, 
they are adversarial at times. And so we have to be able to, to speak into that. So I went to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore I, this is Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. And so I read that because even within your local church, your Sunday school class, a small group Bible study, you're going to have differing opinions on how to interpret Scripture. Uh, and you may firmly believe, and you may even share that, that same belief with the majority of those in your group, but there are going to be people who look at things differently. There just there always will be. And when you come across those people, it's possible that you're wrong. It's possible that you're right. But the way that we're called to handle those things is with humility. If you handle a situation with humility and you end up being wrong, then you haven't ruined a relationship. If you handle something without humility, even though you're right, you may have closed a door that the Lord uh, wanted to leave open. You may close that door and say, we're not going to be able to develop this relationship anymore because I decided being right was more important than being humble. And so I would just encourage you to be humble, to be patient. You're going to disagree with people, uh, but instead of making an enemy, let's make a friend and be kind and loving to that person and leave the door open for future discussion. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode, which will be talking about Assassin's Creed 4 with my buddy MDB. Assassin's Creed 4 is actually my favorite in the franchise. It's the pirate one. Uh, and being a Florida boy, that, that just is, is, is intriguing to me. But we talk about that next week. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and five stars, like I mentioned at the top of the show, so that others can find the show. When you review it, it, it bumps it up in the algorithm and would really appreciate that. Take a few minutes. I know it's a little bit challenging. If you have difficulty, send me an email, nextgennerdpodcast at gmail.com, and I'll help you walk through it. Uh, but would love that. would really appreciate you taking the time for that. If you have a comment uh, and you'd like me to either share it on the show or you want to give some feedback, you can send me an email, that same email address I just said, nextgennerdpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to have it. Uh, and again, would love to read on the show if it's a, a comment on a previous episode. If you want even more Next Gen Nerd, which would be fantastic, uh, you can find me on Instagram as at nextgen underscore nerd and the same thing on Twitter, at nextgen underscore nerd. And you can also see me on Hearth and Hammer on Twitch, Tuesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. Well, that's it for this episode. Until next time, you're going to need a bigger nerd.